Crockett, it's a great day to be alive, man. Yeah, or beat someone to death, <laughs> depending on your disposition. What are you doing here? Yeah. Photocopies of your good friend Carl Derone, remember? Have some coffee and donuts. Rodriguez told me I'd find you here under the name of Burnett. Is that your cover or something? That's the general idea, Tubbs. As far as the locals are concerned, I'm just another hard party and ocean guy. Questionable means. With a $100,000 cigarette boat and a sideline of recreational stimulants. This cop that bought it up in New York. Friend of yours? Yeah, we knew each other. Hey, listen, crack. I've been thinking about what Rodriguez said last night about us working together on this thing. And Save man, your breath, uh, Tubbs. I got enough problems with this investigation already without playing tour guide to some wide-eyed understudy down here on a weekend pass. Wait a second. No, you wait a second. You might have commendations up the yin-yang in the Bronx or New York or wherever the hell it is you're from. But this is Miami, pal, where you can't even tell the players without a program. Down here, you're just another amateur. And what are you guys get the law enforcement? From what I hear, suspensions and misconducts and car bombs aside, you're not the safest. I guess I asked for that one, huh? No, no, you didn't, man. That was totally out of line. You mean that? Absolutely. <clears throat> Could have let you handle all that bad karma by yourself. Everybody and welcome once again to Geek Fest Reds. My name is Carlos Perone, and joining me I have James. Say hello, James. Hello. Well, as you guys know, on many episodes in the past, we've kind of dipped back a little bit in terms of some of the classic television shows and films that we like from the past. And today we're going to examine a television show from the 80s that is not exactly genre in terms of sci-fi or anything like that, but it is a very important show in the realm of, let's say, stylized cop dramas, crime story type of shows. And this is a show that changed a lot for people in terms of how they perceive a cop show. Now, I know that out there, there are certain landmarks. If you think of cop shows, you got your, you know, your Dragnets, your Hill Street Blues, your Columbos, and you know all these different types of iconic shows. Well, this is one from the 80s that completely, once again, redefined the cop show. And I'm talking about Miami Vice. Now, James, tell me a little bit about the show in terms of what you remember of where it came from. Because to me, as a regular viewer, somebody who necessarily wasn't chasing cop shows around in the 80s, it kind of hit... And it hit hard in terms of, it wasn't just that, oh, it's an interesting mystery cop show. No, there was something visual about the show that we hadn't seen before. There were some music elements that were incorporated into the show that, just like some of the movies we talked about recently, the music is like a character in the show. It is so in your face. And obviously, the style, the show, the art design, the clothing, you know, that these lead actors would display is something that influenced a lot of the uh, what was happening in the 80s. So why don't you give us a little bit of background of where the hell did anybody come up with this show? You know, where did it come from? <laughs> well, on September 28th, 1984, this show launched. And I wouldn't say it blew people away that night, but it built to a slow burn. And what happened was it redefined how cop shows specifically, but general television drama 
how it, it, it changed how that was presented. And a lot of shows can say that. They're landmark shows. Yeah. I mean, up until that point, let's say you mentioned Hill Street Blues. That came out in around 81. And that was at that moment, the, you know, police drama. Yeah. You've the, got, like you said, you mentioned all those other the ones. New NYPD, gritty, the new like, gritty, different yeah, like, drama. Uh, like you're in on the streets, you're in the right. car with the guy. And a lot of shows had been like procedurals. A lot of shows had been a main guy. Maybe he's a handsome, rugged kind of cop guy or whatever. Well, Canon. Yeah, you know, <laughs> not so rugged, <laughs> but manly. <laughs> but no, so at this time, MTV was a huge influence on America and movies and music and the world in Fashion, general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quicker cuts. Madonna, Olex, uh, Michael Jackson. Old bands who didn't look so good, weren't sticking around. Newer, good looking guys who had some interesting music, got a little farther, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well. The legend goes, you know, there's there's always more to these stories. You know, we could sit here and do a whole little, uh, you know, story about every little detail. But the legend goes, they were presented some cop shows at NBC. Brandon Tartikoff allegedly, you know, had mentioned or wrote down or whatever MTV cops. Well, they had a, you know, a, a script for something called Gold Coast. And that was written by Anthony Yurkovic. And it was going to be about police detectives in the Miami area, which at that time, people who are our age or older know what was going on in Miami. The whole drug trade, cocaine cowboys. In the late 70s, a lot of Cuban immigrants came over to the country, a lot of drug and cocaine, I guess you would call them uh, dealings and things like that from Central and South America were building. Uh, the movie Scarface had been had come out in yeah, like that, early. Scarface early... is not directly associated with, with no, Miami it's Vice. It's almost but, like a prequel. But it's like there's the flavor is yeah, in there. It, I, I call it a little bit of a prequel to Miami Vice. And I watch it regularly. And I say, because they deal with some cops in it. And so yeah, I was like, it's... hey, I could see that. That's the other side of what Sonny Crockett the proto Miami Vice exactly <laughs> you know and since then I've watched a lot of documentaries on what was going on there and real incidences of like mall attacks on you know on rival you know cocaine dealers and pilots generic pilots being hired to you know mule in drugs and they'll drop them in this field or they'll drop them in this you know and well the other side of the coin was how the local police had to deal with this change, a lot of influences of, uh, you know, uh, I guess Latin America, a lot of money coming through the banks were, were building. But that's the thing. Ironically, while all this stuff was taking place, Miami was growing and expanding and yeah. becoming very rich at the and same that, time. And that's the name Gold Coast, which is the the term they use when like a, a lot of money in a big area, you know, and the Gold Coast of Africa, you know, a lot of the ivory trade, stuff like that. Well, anyway, so... This is all happening in the real world, the Reagan America. The early 80s. The money is growing. People are building, you know, empires, <laughs> good and bad. Tony Montoya. And so Brandon Tartikoff, who was, you know, a, a bit of a visionary in television, whether you like all of his shows or not, he did turn around television and come up with some interesting ideas with many collaborators. And this particular one was picked up and with the influence of a director who we all like, you know, director producer Michael Mann, yeah. who had recently made a movie with James Caan called Thief that had a lot of Miami Vice influences and it had a lot of the look, the slickness, the camera on the side of the car, the uh, the wet streets as so the, the music cinematography was, playing. was kind yeah, of there. He had, a, he had a, he was building style. his style. Nothing 
story wise, right. similar. He didn't have the flavor, but, but, but he had the style. If you watch the movie Thief, you get that vibe, that edginess, that you know, like you're on the you're on right on the razor. And that was 1981. So Michael Mann had an idea of the way he wanted to do some things. They put together a pilot. It wound up being very interesting. And while pairing a, a southern white cop and a northern black cop isn't, you know, revolutionary in television, it was an interesting pairing. These were good-looking guys. It was a good-looking crew. They were dealing with people who had a lot more money with them. And at the time, people like that sort of thing. It's like when you're watching a mob movie, you don't necessarily sanction what the mob is doing, perhaps, but it's interesting you know what are these guys getting up to like the godfather the sopranos like everything it's got to be entertaining first of all so they took a chance on don johnson now don johnson came from some not so really big budget movies a boy and his dog was something i knew him from that's the only thing i could remember and that was from 1976 now he had been out there he was one of these kind of guys he was a decent looking guy he dabbled in music he dabbled in acting he had dated melanie griffin when she was much younger than he should have been able to date her but you know they had an interesting relationship and you know he did a movie called elvis and the beauty queen and that had been like maybe in the early 80s and you know he wasn't a young man is that on blu-ray available yet? <laughs> so they really were taking a chance with him but he had that edge of a guy Sonny was supposed to be a guy who's seen a lot of things. He's been chewed out and spit out. Yeah, he's 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 an undercover police officer dealing in the drug world who we are supposed to believe can fit in with this. He's you know he's a, he's a fast mover. He's got a fast boat. He'll make deals happen in between. A man on the edge in between the lines. <laughs> now, of course, if you if you think it's all you know cheesy and stuff like that, that's fine. But you know this is what they were going for. There was nothing else like that. Other guys were like you know. You know, hard edge, hard boiled kind of you know street cops dealing. In, he plays by know, no tell, rules. Yeah, Telly Savalas <laughs> is like your, your you know your your the closest thing to Sonny Crockett. <laughs> no, no, Telly Savalas was like your you know preeminent cop at the right. time, or you know well, his partner was supposed to be a New York cop. Now exactly. So the other actor it's North it, meets South. You know, it's very uh, come together you're, type you're, of. You're, uh, you're screwing me up. It's uh, his partner is Philip Michael Thomas. And he's Who? supposed to be—he's supposed to be a New York street cop uh-huh. disguised as his brother, Rico. who was a detective who was killed. What's but, his full name? Uh, Rico. Uh, Ricardo. R- Ricardo. Ricardo Tubbs. Tubbs. Yeah. yeah. His brother is killed on the job in New York by a dirty drug dealer who's based out of Miami, so, yeah. and, and, and you know, in the Caribbean. And so he goes down chasing him. You know, the paths cross. They wind up. You know, there's a little uh, tension at first, and there's a little chemistry. And so on and so forth. And it just had the right components. The little bit of glitz that was building in South Beach. Now, South Beach in Miami was a toilet at the time. Right. It was a basically a way station for old people <laughs> in this Art Deco area that had one time been beautiful. But it was basically now old folks homes and run down and immigrants and I would say... Yeah, there's even, a lot of like little Havana down yeah, there, stuff I would, like that. I would, I would even say in an alternate universe, it would all have been knocked down for, you know, condos or high rises or projects. Except for the influx of money. (laughs) And so little by little, this money builds up. The banks are growing. Well, if you can wash money through a town, 
obviously other people are going to get rich. And that's what Miami Vice was about. It was about how the corruption in the banking, corruption in the drug trade, corruption in the police potentially, and all the other things that come with it, car dealers growing. And, Sounds like a Disney movie. Yeah. And so there's a glamour to that. It's seedy, but there's a glamour to it. And that made an interesting show. It's almost like a Western, <laughs> if you think about it. it. Miami became the old West. Like Deadwood. Exactly. <laughs> Since then, I've watched shows and talking about what was going on there. And it was like the old West. It's like, money's coming in, build up the town, build a bank. Bring in the whores. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it got ugly. So, you know, it was a slow burn at first. And, you know, that's like a cheesy term even. A lot of people watched the show, but it, it was growing like little by little by word of mouth. Well, let's talk about the elements, the things that just hit you in the face. Music. Okay. Well, TV shows generally had like one guy composing music. It was maybe like a guitar, a little hard edge guitar, some saxophone music, you know, almost <laughs> like porno. And, you know, it's not that shows didn't have good music. It's now, just, it wasn't an element. It was something that And in the 80s, did- it's very Mark Post- like yeah. uh, Magnum PI, A Team, dun 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 dun. Well, that that actually was after Miami Vice, it, <laughs> but it's to get you. It was just to get you through scenes, just like an old, you know, Sam Spade movie or something mm-hmm. like that. Now Miami Vice, they decided to use Michael Mann had this plan. If we use contemporary music, it makes it a little more edgy. They can make it feel like it's you know happening now, right. and as you said earlier, it becomes a character. Especially s- if it's the nightlife. You don't want to walk into a disco and hear, what the hell are they playing well, how many in times here? have we talked about shows and we goof on them? Like Buck Rogers did shows. It was supposed to be Buck in like some futuristic <laughs> disco. <laughs> yeah, it's like they always make it that cheesy, you know, futuristic type movie. Or if you're a cop show, it's like, uh-huh. whatever. I, I don't even know how to explain the, the, it. It's a sax player. Yeah. So this was music you might hear actually on yeah. the radio or yeah, yeah. see on MTV. Or, the, or in the clubs. Well, yeah. the, then once you have that music, the style and how you shoot it, a little darker, a harder edge. Wet the streets. Quick cuts. Yeah. And then from there, okay, you're using the music. It became more artistic. Well, instead of Sonny being a regular beat cop wearing a uh, you know a bad blazer and some you know polyester pants, no, he had to fit they in. They got him. He's like, well, look, this is supposed to be an undercover player. Let's get him clothes that might fit that bill. And it was Italian designer clothes, Armani style clothes. Tubbs would wear sharp looking suits, shiny modern suits, and the cars they chose. Tubbs was more of a you know like a. Quavassier kind of guy. So they gave him an old convertible Cadillac from the early 60s. Sonny had a Ferrari. Now, of course, it wasn't a real Ferrari, but nobody knew that at the time. It looked like a real Ferrari Daytona because this is a guy who's out there. He can have some money. He can have a cool, fast car. You know, how many cop shows? Magnum P.I. was out a couple years before that. He had his red Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Starsky and Hutch had the Gran Torino. You know, things like that. That's, you know, Rockford's got the Firebird. Cops and cars are, you know, important, (laughs) which all these things eventually, you know, lured me in. And it sounds dirty, but I really wasn't a huge fan when it first came out. It's sometimes you hear these names and it's like, oh, yeah, there's some new shows. But little by little, I started hearing things. Time Magazine, TV Guide showed it. And I guess I just got curious. And maybe five, six, seven weeks in, I checked it out. 
and it blew me away. I almost didn't get it at first. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Who, what are the, these guys? Are they're undercover? They're the, mm-hmm. are they good guys? Or are they bad guys? <laughs> and I remember like constantly peppering my brother, who's younger than me, but he had got on board much quicker. And he's like, no, no, they're blah, 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 blah. and it really blew me away. And it's funny. You know, the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, in the, especially in the early two seasons, so many famous people got their start or relative start on Miami Vice. Guys like Bruce Willis were, were you know, That's right. featured on That's it. Right. You know, Stanley Tucci was a big bad guy on it. Julia Roberts even was kind of like the Gumar of some bad guy in, in uh, later episodes. So everything kind of came together. Again, it blew me away, and I, I just loved it. Well, let me mention one more thing. When we were talking about earlier music, not only were they able to pick all this contemporary popular music, but they also had their own score and their own composer, which, again, you almost never hear of who the composer yeah. of a television show is, and this guy made such cool new music. Even the theme show became a number one hit. Synthesizer music was coming into its own in the 80s. Uh, Vangelis had done Chariots of Fire. Mm -hmm. He had done Blade Runner, which we've talked about how that made that movie. And so Jan Hammer, who is from Europe, created this synthesized music that really just, you get the feel like you're in Miami. You almost feel like the humidity and the heat when you're listening to it. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of people find that cheesy now, but it's 30 years later. At the time... There was nothing like it. Well, it had this Caribbean yeah. kind of flavor to it. It was it was a Latin, Latin flavor, ethnic, Caribbean, uh, yeah. and, and and modern, this super modern, modern, this modern synth, yeah. synth pop like Duran Duran or Depeche Mode style music. And you know, a number of people didn't want to get their music on it at first. It was actually quite surprising. <laughs> but bands like Genesis and well, the, and, the and, pilot episode had "In the Air Tonight," yeah, which, which was a Phil Collins song, which is a pretty well known song to begin with, but. Now that it's attached to this yeah, that show, song had come out like two holy years before. smokes! It was huge. It was the and it fit perfectly. Yeah, in the pilot episode, the it's like building they wrote to the, it, building to the uh, climax. It's ridiculous! You know, the good guys are mounting up and they're going after the bad guy, and this music comes on, and that basically like any time now, if you were a Miami Vice fan and you hear that song, all you think yeah, about all you is think that is, scene. you don't think of Genesis, you think of Miami Vice. Yeah, it's Phil, almost Phil. like I mean, if you think about it, it almost felt like. If they could not use that song, they couldn't make that scene. Because that song is that scene. Yeah. It's it's amazing. No way. I'm jumping ahead, but even when they did the remake movie, Mm -hmm. they used a version of that song a by cover. a new, Yeah, they did a exactly. cover of it, yeah. That song is so identified. Yeah, it's and iconic. And Collins eventually became an important part of Miami Vice, not just with his music. He even but started he, in he it. He made an appearance <laughs> yeah. as a, you know, a, a kind of bad yeah. guy. It was, it was a very memorable episode. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit about the landmark themes per season? Now, overall, like we said before, yes, it's a... The main thing seems to be, to me, you know, the struggles or the hard time that this cop has being an undercover cop dealing with this thing that a lot of shows have 
touched upon before, and that is losing your identity to your job. Well, and his job is a nasty, nasty job. Yeah, this there really is no Miami Vice per se squad type of thing. You know, it's like NYPD Blue or these shows, uh, Hell Street Blues. They took place in actual these are squad houses, plain clothes detectives, Basically, undercover what they detectives. Created was units. a. Squad. The build, as organized crime was building, they had squads that were set up, basically anti-organized right. crime, to Infiltrate. fight this particular Their job was to fight organized crime, vice, which was prostitution. These cops would be guys who would be, you know, catching johns and catching hookers and pimps. They would also be stopping the drug trade, maybe even some, you know, some money laundering, stuff like that. They basically set up a separate squad house, which was this undercover shipping company. There's a cast of characters, supporting characters, a lieutenant who was originally Gregory Sierra. And I always call Gregory Sierra is actually the anti Ted McGinley. <laughs> Gregory Sierra always came onto a show to launch a show. He was very talented. He was in the early Barney Millers. He was in the early, That's it, he was in the early Sanford and Sons. That's he's it. He's in the first few episodes of Miami Vice. Sanford and Sons. So yeah, he's yeah. like such a well known guy in the 70s, Hispanic guy. He played the you know the hard edged lieutenant. Every seventies you know. sitcom or show yeah. you'll see him. He sees he shows up because he's just so talented. People knew we need a Gregory Sierra. Well, let's get Gregory Sierra. <laughs> he's know, he's available. He's interested. Okay. Eventually, that role that was supposed to be a short role. He didn't want to be tied down, so on and so forth. Uh, eventually, that went to Edward James almost, <laughs> who at the time we really only knew from Blade Runner and also a, a movie called uh, I think it was Zoot Suit. He played a Latino guy. And but he really took this role yeah, really well. He changed how like like most bosses are like Starsky and Hutch's, you know, big heavy set kind of loudmouth boss. No, this no, guy this is was cool, calculated, com- mysterious. You don't know what he was up to. And like, you'd come to him and when he chews you out, you don't even know you've been chewed out. That I mean, that's how cool he was. <laughs> You'll never get a compliment from <laughs> yeah. him ever. Uh, but no, but it, it, interestingly enough, the first season built on the Calderon. Calderon was this big bad at the time. And, and his arc was killing Tubbs' brother. Right. Tubbs... It launches the story. meeting up with Crockett, forming a partnership. They eventually kill Gregory Sierra's character, the Calderon crew. Right, right. And then they eventually chase him to the Bahamas. And it was, you know, pretty heavy stuff if you're watching it at the time. And now, you know, there's been so much dark shows for 30 years. But at the time, this was some pretty serious stuff. Now, was Crockett living in the boat with the alligator the at first? The funny thing about Crockett is his separated almost divorced kind of right. hard edge guy Man on the edge. Kind of guy. but he his <laughs> cover is he's Sonny Burnett he lives on a a sailboat down at the marina a high end marina right. he's got a cigarette boat jeez why would he have that well cuz he runs he, drugs he's of moving, course he's moving you know weight he owns uh, a beeper company, doesn't he? The, <laughs> the funny thing is he had a pet alligator because he, the real Sonny Crockett was a uh, a college football star who Wound up kind of getting hurt, serving time in Nam. So coming back, getting a you know a police job, so on and so forth. So he's kind of like a Southern, you know, Florida good old boy, but he's also you know on the right track, trying to do the right thing. Tubbs also good cop. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot. There's episodes where it talks about how guys who are their best friends are being lured in. Well, ultimately, the first season is a huge hit, and it only gets bigger. 
in the summer reruns as people realize, hey, this thing is pretty cool. And when they rerun the pilot as a movie of the week and the Calvary arc as a big deal, and it just builds and builds and builds over the summer. So by the second season, everybody's talking about Miami Vice. It's changed fashion. Men are wearing a five o'clock shadow in their daily lives, where it used to be if you didn't shave a day or two, you look like a bum. No socks. Sonny Crockett his look they'd actually started selling shavers that tried to give a guy you know (laughs) i don't think you need a special apparatus like that you just deal with it but you know that's how marketing works no socks italian loafers pastels cars pastels their rule was they can't have any earth tones the only people that had earth tones were the actual cops the actual uniform cops because that's they had brown uniforms from the miami police miami dade police so, what how what do you do next? Well, these guys figure they have gold, pardon the pun, and everybody wants to start getting on board. Well, when you're a hot television show and you've got to write stories and you've got famous people who want, they're asking you, they're begging you, can we participate? You write them in. So the second season kind of became, while they're still fantastic episodes, looking back on it, it kind of became the uh, celebrity of the week, you know, <laughs> the guest of the week. And it, it kind of fell into that rut you know one of the really fantastic episodes was ted nugent another one as we said was phil collins i remember bill paxton he was in one we mentioned ed o'neill who a lot of people know now from married with children and the very popular modern family so it built it so by the second season you had guys from rock band actual rock bands john taylor and uh, power station here once james brown appeared later on in the fourth season (laughs) there were really just so many really hip cool people miles davis we could just do a show on all the people who've appeared (laughs) on miami vice well let me just go down the list here a little bit and go over a few of the at the time known actors and at the time there were some of them were also kind of unknown actors but today you recognize these names obviously jimmy smiths ed o'neill dennis farina bruce willis burt young michael madsen from reservoir dogs terry o'quinn from lost giancarlo esposito from breaking bad Eric Bogosian, Glenn Fry, Richard Jenkins, big actor these days, John Turturro, Pam Greer, Ving Rames, Joe Morton, Isai Morales, Gene Simmons, Penn Gillette, Teller, Charles Dutton, Power Station, Little Richard, Nathan Lane, Frankie Valley, Miles Davis, Clarence Williams III, Dean Stockwell, Bob Balbin, Phil Collins, Kiri Sedgwick, Emo Phillips, Ted Nugent, Jan Hammer, The Fat Boys, Leonard Cohen, Harvey Firestein, Michael Richards, Frank Zappa, Michael Bay, Tommy Chong, Gary Cole, Richard Belzer, John Leguizamo, Lee Iacocca, Liam Neeson, Jeff Fahey, G. Gordon Liddy, Lawrence Fishburne, Ron Perlman, Willie Nelson, Steve Buscemi, Stanley Tucci, Bill Paxton, Wesley Snipes, Don King, Randall Tex Cobb, Hang S. Noor, Helena Bonham Carter, Richard Chavez, Brad Dourif, Vincent D'Onofrio, John Glover, Vigo Mortison, Annette Benning, Lou Diamond Phillips, Melanie Griffin, George Takei, Lou Albano, Veronica Cartwright, Bill Boggs, Ian McShane, Benicio Del Toro, Meg Foster, Brian Dennehy, Ben Stiller, Miguel Ferrer, Alfred Molina, Isaac Hayes, James Brown, Chris Rock, Sheena Easton, Arlie Emery, Lori Petty, Harry Shearer, Oliver Platt, Frank Stallone, 
Julia Roberts, Chris Cooper, Matt Frewer, Amanda Plummer, Rita Moreno, Michael Chiklis, and CCH Pounder. So the second season builds and builds and builds, but by the end of the second season, they're like, okay, we got to worry about fatigue now. Like, you know, people have seen all this. When did they change the uh, fashion? Is it by the third season? Third season launches. A little darker. They say, hey, we're going to go with some new look. Things are going to get a little darker hues. We're still going to have some color. Ferrari was actually a little annoyed with them because they were using a kit car of a Daytona Spider. Ferrari said, hey, we got- Which is that? Is that the, was that the, the black, black car? One. The, the black, black one, one okay. is the Daytona Spider. Ferrari says, hey, we'll let you use this new car we've got. We'll provide you with it. We'll provide you with two of them so you can have a show car plus a hero car. And it's a black Testarossa. So it appears in the first episode early in the season, it turns out the first use of it, it turns out it's too dark. The bad guy's using it. Eventually, they were going to confiscate it from the bad guy and use it for Sonny. Well, it turns out they got to repaint it. So Ferrari provided them with white ones. That makes sense. And I'm it like became thinking, a white I don't remember Testarossa. That. And you say to yourself, geez, the drug dealer flying around in this flash white car and stuff. But black Testarossa did not show up on dark television show yeah, very clearly. I guess that makes sense. So the third season has a new look, a new car. Uh, even Sonny's the, got a new haircut. Yeah, even He's the got haircuts like a, changed a shorter, a spikier. This is now 86. You know, think times are changing. Is Nothing, this also Heartbeat Don Johnson? This is Heartbeat Time Don Johnson. Oh, I love Heartbeat Don, Don Johnson. Don Johnson became huge. Philip Michael Thomas became pretty big. Philip Michael Thomas at that point said he was going to win an Emmy, a Tony, a uh, it's EGOT. And a Nobel And there's, Nobel only, a, there's only a handful <laughs> of people who've done that, and um, Philip Michael Thomas is still working on it. It's, you know, he's... <laughs> God bless them. It's okay. Again, Don Johnson's huge. The show's huge. Men are wearing that style. The sharks in skin right. style I forgot suits, about the shorter haircut. The, uh, yeah. prom suits, the prom tuxedos. There's a Mommy Vice line. It's, now it's, with, now with it's Mike, really become a thing. With Philip Michael Thomas, I remember also he had a different style than Sonny. Sonny was with these more summery Sonny, type Sonny, of uh, the, jackets. and it's a, and, it's and, a jacket and, and a t-shirt, right. a rumpled jacket. And Tubbs was the suit. And Tubbs was more proper suit. All shark types of skin. fancy suits. Yeah, uh, you know, double-breasted jacket. You know, Sonny had the uh, the Sig Sau or the 9mm yeah. eventually. He... Uh, uh, Even Tubbs the had the short off shotgun. That's what we said. The, the, they had different style cars. Yeah, Tubbs each had guy. the Cadillac, his little, you know, yeah. the old fancy. Um, Classic cars. Yeah. So by the third season, a lot of things start changing, but also like, again, like fatigue sets in. Dallas has a bit of a resurgent. They go up against each other. You know, Dallas is actually still in the running of being a top show. Wow. So Miami Vice is suffering a little bit. But the shows are, you know, the shows are still relatively interesting. In my mind, I noticed a problem around halfway through the third season in which I think that's around the time Michael Mann started making Manhunter, Band of the Hand. He had a new show called Crime Story. Oh, yeah. And we made Dennis him, we even forgot about Dennis Farina yeah. and some of those guys wound up having their big Michael Land, their, their yeah. big introduction, so to speak, in uh, Miami Vice. But then they there was... While not a spinoff, it was like a 60s Miami Vice in Crime Story. Yeah. You know, in Chicago, you know, the the dark side of the mob stuff. And in Vegas, too, I think. Yeah, and it moved to Vegas. So, to me, the second half of the third season, I started to see something was missing. So, around this time, Michael Mann's stepping back and Dick Wolf takes over. Now, I don't think Dick Wolf was bad. I just think his style 
was more like get the job done and let's get a show out there. And if it still has the same feel and look, good. So for me, I felt there was a little problem happening. And then by the time the fourth season, apparently they did, and they tried to jazz it up and Sonny was going to get remarried. And who do they choose? Sheena Easton. Oh, yeah, I remember now, that. It's not a terrible casting, and it was actually pretty cool. And Sonny gets married in a Mommy Vice style. You know, everything looks really cool. Now, but, Sheena Easton, at the time, her claim to fame was her association with Prince, was it? And the James Bond theme. Oh, uh, that's right, For Your Eyes Only. For Your Eyes Only. Yeah. So she's pretty well known. She's Scottish. She's huge in England. But, you know, a lot of American audiences, it you know, the ratings had a bit of a, you know, a spike. It didn't change anything too much. But wedding at the time, wedding episodes always wound up jazzing up. Cliffhangery uh, type of Yeah, they situations. always started jazzing up fan bases. But again, now, once that kind of came and went, she kind of was written away for a while. Have but they those changed were the some style of the, again? Well, the point? style is, again, Sonny's now got a little bit longer hair. Things are still yeah. a little bit darker. Yeah. This is the part of the character arc where... He's really starting to, if you're a fan of Sonny Crockett, he's really starting to, like, everything we do, it's like a hamster on a wheel. No matter what we do, we pull these guys in, there's more guys, they get out, they got more money, they know how to beat the system. So Sonny's getting burnt out. By the end of the fourth he's, season- He's found some happiness there's, now. There's, a, there's an episode which is fantastic, which you and I have discussed many, many times, and Sonny has this guy on death row that he put in jail- the guy reaches out. He says, look, I didn't do it. There's all kinds of new clues. Some guys sell their testimony. Sonny gets the guy out. The guy basically rides away, gives him a big F you. And uh, yeah, I found God. It gives him the cross and says, no, I, oh, really, yeah. I, really, I really didn't. I, I bought everybody that. off. And that was, a, a, that was a rough episode. Now, Sonny chained. That was basically, Sonny, Sonny is now, we don't know what, could, what Sonny's capable of. By the end of the season, there's a boat accident. Huggy Bear is the bad guy. Yeah. I felt like the quality of the the bad guys and the quality of the storyline started to suffer a little bit. That was the season James Brown showed up. In the same episode, Chris Rock suddenly makes an appearance as like some guy who uh, wow. you know come from downtown. And it's a good episode, but involves UFOs and some weird stuff like, like a that. Corpse you, or something, you know. And uh, no, the corpse one was when the reggae guy was frozen <sighs> on ice. It was supposed Jeez. to be a uh, Bob Marley type. Oh my god! So. There are very, very iconic episodes, and there's still fantastic music. Now, is his wife still here? The music is getting a little darker. Well, by the end of the season, that bad guy he got out of jail, who was on death row, killed Sonny's wife out of revenge, supposedly, because Sonny killed his girlfriend or in some raid. Sonny, then, next episode, he's all down. He's drinking scotch. He's, you know, unshaven, as he always is. As usual. Uh, (laughs) And. It turns out Sonny may uh, there's there's a, there's an episode Sonny may have killed this bad guy. It's left that we don't know, and I still to this day I couldn't swear to you what happens. And fans might say, "No, absolutely, he killed him." And other people say, "You know, no, it's just it's something weird." So they don't show it, but Sonny starts to take a dark edge. Again, another undercover mission. Sonny is blown up from a boat. Hits his head, amnesia. Mirror, mirror. Well, of course, exa- that the episode is called Mirror Image. Exactly. <laughs> Very good. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the shat strikes back. And so <laughs> the, the shark might not, I don't know if the shark has jumped, but he's definitely in the water. This is a funny time, though. They're chumming the sea. <laughs> Chris Cooper, another fantastic actor now. He's the main bad guy in this finale. Bad Sonny even catches on that this Whoa. guy is bad and blasts him. 
It winds up, Tubbs is coming after him, trying to save him. Sonny, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Sonny takes off in a speedboat. Come on. What's your, my, my name isn't Crockett. I'm no cop. I'm Burnett. He's Bad Sonny. <gasps> He's, he, the amnesia has turned yeah. him into Bad Sonny. We know for a fact now this guy is in the wind. <laughs> All right. Fifth season. Now, at this point... Now, let's talk a little bit about the fifth season in terms of why having a fifth season is very important, especially in the 80s. Well, it's important because syndication rights, shows needed to get... Like, in the early days, they'd sell a show, they didn't care, nobody... Like, Star Trek, three seasons, it aired everywhere. Nobody got any money except probably... uh, (laughs) Paramount. Paramount, you know. Now, everybody had a little taste... You needed to get, you know, a certain amount of seasons to get a dis- decent syndication deal. You also, the at that point, the more seasons, the cast's price go up. Well, it's a hundred episodes. But also, sometimes the cast want to get out of their initial contracts, which might have been only three or four years. So they wind up saying there's going to be a fifth season. They're getting, you know, <laughs> pardon the pun, they're getting shot at from like uh, parents groups because there's too much violence. The ratings are down now in the, from the fourth season struggling against Dallas. There's other shows. There's other copycat shows that have come. You know, people's tastes have changed. It definitely just happens. So they come back. Bad Sonny, still Bad Sonny. There's the, the arc is resolved. He comes back to be good Sonny. Now, Yay! in a modern world, you watch that part now and you say, there's just no way. Okay, even if they absolved him of the crimes he committed as Bad Sonny, there's no way he could still serve. He's an older guy. He's, he's like low 40s. He would have been, you know, pushed out of the, the police force. Retired, yeah. And that would have been the end of that. Well, in this world, he was allowed to continue and redeem himself and go on about his undercover missions. You know, there's people who've joked over the years, A, the flash car, B, anybody, any, any, if this guy ever shows up to you in a white Ferrari, say he can move some weight for you. Run as fast as you can. He's the heat. He's the he's, man. He's unshaven. <laughs> he's wearing these clothes. So Miami's not that big of a town, but pre-internet cell phones you know funny Sonny had the was he the, wearing a Groucho Marx nose Sonny had the car phone <laughs> but it was the kind like it was in the oh, car yeah. and those not cell phones nice. as we know them the, 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 you the, know everybody, everybody the Gordon phone everybody was still moving around with like snitches and you know heels <laughs> and stuff like that you know by payoffs so the fifth season it, it was really a bit of a challenge is that when they went to New York no that was the second season oh I forgot about I remember you belong to the city Glenn Fry. <laughs> it turns out at this point, Jan Hammer has had enough. Oh. Uh, he's he's moving on. Eventually, Jan Hammer was replaced by Tim Truman. Now, he's a different style, but it actually, to me, gave a breath of fresh air to the show because his style is very interesting. And it's hard to get his music. You can find some. I was going to say, of, was he any soundtracks or anything? You can find some of his cuts on YouTube and various other Miami Vice fan sites. Wow. But it's still tough. Now, he's a very prolific uh, composer right now. He does a lot of shows, he's done a lot of stuff since then. But it was the beginning of the end, is the fifth season. And at that point, Don Johnson had become a big enough star that he was making some movies. He eventually got back with Melanie Griffin. Which who had made it in a pretty key episode of, of Miami Vice, they actually uh, may have reconsummated their love on camera, and he was even missing from certain episodes. It's like, oh, Sonny's, wow. you know, Sonny's on assignment, you know, or something. Was, like that. was he directing episodes? Well, he too? did direct. Yeah, there he did go. direct some That's episodes. The kiss of death. He he, but but he was actually making some movies. I think he was doing. I think it was around the time of Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man, or something like that. Wow. Um, but this was, Don Johnson, you know, was trying to build a film career, and he had a smaller one at first, and by the end, 
we were actually glad. I mean, you're sad to see a show you like end, but we're actually glad, like, look, it's coming to the end. You see the end coming. Let's try to at least finish with our dignity. And it turned out they did. There's some really good episodes. And the finale, as a Miami Vice fan, the episode was called Freefall. It basically mirrored, like, the Manuel Noriega kind of story that had uh, been taking place around that time. And I thought it ended on a high note. I thought it ended well, and it probably is best that that was done. But, you know, through that five-year period, there were so many big things that happened. You know, like you you mentioned some of the musicians. You know, Glenn Fry and Don Henley, their music. Glenn Fry actually appeared. That's right. They he, were so... They, they an did, actor, yeah. They did a big, a, a big... They went to New York, and there's a big New York episode for you the season premiere. to the city. You know, I'm going to play that song at some point. It's fantastic. Like, I just love the show still. I do acknowledge it feels a little dated. A lot of like we talked about how when guys don't have cell phones now or computers and everything's done the old way. This could have been avoided phones. if you had a cell phone. <laughs> it's like watching a show in the 50s and there, you know, and then a cowboy show. It's like, oh, what do you mean? You don't have a car? You got to get on a horse, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yeah, so there's, there's elements of it that might make people a little bit, you know, tentative in terms of wanting to watch it. But if you like music and it's still got those fast cuts and stuff, I still think a lot of the episodes are very entertaining and again, you know, iconic in how it changed certain styles of television. Now, where can people watch if they wanted to start catching up on this? Well, the easiest place is probably Netflix. Everything's on Netflix. The DVDs are out there. They're probably on other online sites and Have stuff like that. Have they put them like on that. Blu-ray, Dina? No, they're not on Blu-ray yet. I think it's too expensive. Getting the rights when they put them on VHS was expensive for the DVD, and I think they've only kept it to that because sales were probably just enough to, to get them through. They didn't have any problems because I remember like Wise Guy, for example, they wouldn't put out the episodes because of the music copyright problems. Yeah. Was this something similar? Ironically, there were elements of that, but... Universal was very loyal to the show and willing to pay what they had to pay to keep the show intact, and all the music is there. And that's why it took forever for it to come out on DVD. Things that show up since Miami Vice, a lot of people, when they talk about the 80s, show the Miami Vice style, you know, the Italian type of suit, sleeves rolled up, pastel t-shirt. You'll see, like... The hot tub time machine or, or, they'll, yeah, they'll or goof on it. Yeah. Joe, uh, Steve Buscemi was wearing a mommy vice look when he came out of jail in his Sopranos episode because he supposedly went in jail in like the middle eighties, the wedding singer. It's not a new movie, but it had Adam Sandler. They kind of had a, a Miami Vice kind of crew wearing those outfits. Now, what are some of the most recent? Because I, I remember seeing not only did Michael Mann then remake it as a film. Well, in 2006, they redid it with Colin Farrell as Sonny Crockett and Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx, that's now, right. Now, those guys were almost too big to do it. Yeah, they were huge. Because now, Colin Farrell isn't as big right now, but he's still very talented. And uh, Jamie Foxx is huge and very talented. And you really couldn't get more than one movie out of them because it was mildly successful. People still regard the series as more, you know, iconic than the movie. But I feel But it was that, contemporary of the 90s. Yes, it, it, turned, couldn't, it, it couldn't took, be it, 80s. It took the story and no, it was it was contemporary of the 2000s. Right. And it took the story, it modernized it, taking into account computers and internet right. and how things work in the real world and moving money around. And it was actually a compelling story and it was a pretty good presentation. I, by the end of it, as a fan of Miami Vice and probably just as a general fan of the movie, you uh, are left wanting more, which is a good thing. But I was pretty darn sure as soon as it came out, there was no way this was ever going to get a sequel mm -hmm. just because those guys were huge and Jamie yeah. Foxx was only getting bigger. 
in other little tidbits, you know, now Don Johnson's had a bit of a resurgence. He's been in Django. He's been in a number of other movies. Uh, he's when, it out. When LeBron James went to the Miami Heat, Nike did a little skit doing, uh, he's like, what should I do, man? And Don Johnson actually appears as Sonny Crockett in the little skit. A serious kind of thing. And it was actually pretty good. Don Johnson had a pretty good career right after. He did Nash Bridges. It was a CBS show. Did pretty well. It was, you know, not groundbreaking. But in the later years of Nash Bridges, they brought Philip Michael Thomas in. And they did a nice little episode as if, you know, his old friend from Miami. But we don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Different characters. But they had that feel. You know, I think the episode was even called Out of Miami or what. They did two episodes. And they did a little tie-in in the second episode because Cheech was Don Johnson's sidekick. Cheech Marin, mm-hmm. and they also had Tommy Chong in there, so it was kind of like a meeting of the the old partners Reunions. in this new episode. So that's how they build it at the time. But after that, you know, Don Johnson had some ups and downs. I think, like most actors, you know, as they go along, Philip Michael Thomas has probably had less luck since then. Yeah. Edward James, almost on the other hand, probably came out of that smelling the best because <laughs> he went on to make some fantastic movies. He played, yeah. uh, I think the character's name was Jaime Alante. The uh, teacher, uh, school teacher. The, yeah, a school teacher in uh, in the barrio. And he was uh, Commander Dama yeah. in the new Battlestar Galactica, which now, you know, it's like, I, that talk about iconic. You know, that's, that's huge. Yeah, he he's always going to be now, thought didn't of. didn't we recently also see a comic book a Miami Vice comic book it's funny you mentioned that there's a Miami Vice comic on Amazon came out this year yeah, early, yeah. early in early in this year probably to tie in a little bit for the anniversary it had a bit of the feel to it <laughs> it just wasn't my cup of tea something that was more Miami Vice ish but nothing to do with Miami Vice was a video game probably within the past 10 years called Vice City it was part of the uh, Grand Theft Auto. Is that what it was part of? It was part of the Grand Theft Auto, oh. and in it they, they had the, char- they had the yeah. characters looking kind of like those kind of characters. <laughs> they have the you know a more a little bit modern version of it. They have the cars, the music, the uh, I think Philip Michael Thomas might have actually provided a voice. I don't think Don Johnson did, Jeez. but um, well, let me ask you a question. Obviously, there's not a lot of merchandising around this unless you find some of the cars. No, they put out the the models. Uh, They put out the models of the cars and the boat. They put out recently in the Hot Wheels line, I guess the Hot Wheels version of the two cars cars. uh, for for their entertainment series line. They actually, within the past five years, maybe even a little more than that, though, put out Mecca or something like that. NECA? Yeah, there was a se- uh, an action figure series. They put out a Sonny and Ricardo in like oh, their really? iconic outfits. Then they put in like some alternate outfits like Elvis the Alligator was one of the accessories they provided. Evil Sonny? Yeah, it's like there wasn't a ton of stuff during the time of Miami Vice, they had put out some books. They were they were like making calendars. Us. I remember I had a calendar. Yeah, they were like making us. There was a little bit of a fan fiction kind of thing. They put out the soundtracks for sure. Well, that's the, the question theme, I wanted to ask you. The how theme dif- becomes one of the biggest themes ever. Well, how difficult is it to really compile a good soundtrack collection of the show? Well, <laughs> funny you mentioned that. As a fan, I took a challenge and I said, let's see if I, you know, you can find some songs, but there are just some songs that are so associated with scenes of the show that you want them in your collection. And, and they're as, not available in sense. And they're not, they weren't available at all, or they're only available in Europe, or they're out of print. And I took it as a challenge. I took the basic ones, and then I wanted the final song from the whole series, the episode called Free Fall, and this was, song was called Tell Me by Terry Kath. And he used to be part of the band Chicago, and he wound up dying... Uh, 
probably of a suicide. You know, it's pretty much established, you know, he had a suicide. It could have been an accident, though. Anyway, I wanted that song. I, I, I gave myself a challenge. If I can get this song, I said, I can probably get any song. Now, that song appears also in the Robert Blake movie, Electric Glide in Blue. Well, that soundtrack is ridiculously expensive and probably only on record, I think. I'm like, well, geez, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be able to get the record. I don't even know when I get the record if I'll be able to play it unless I get you to play it on uh, my old on my old digital record player. Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. Find I, find, I find a link in like a bulletin board on a website. Not on. It's not on a website like now where you had like Napster or anything like that. It was somebody who's a fan who says, hey, what's that song? So this person says it's this. Suddenly there's a little link there. I click on it and it plays through my computer. It's not through iTunes. It just happens and to play through like media burst player. Into flames. <laughs> well, I figured out a way. Maybe you even helped me back then. I don't remember. <laughs> to save the file, play it, it recorded. It was fantastic. I'm like, if I can do this now, I can do anything. Well, there were some fan websites that have been out there for a while. They're probably not updated that much anymore. And little by little, they started listing every song. There's every, a lot of every, yes. There's a lot of websites like that. They'll go through all television shows and they'll just give you the playlist. Well, this one was I think episode the, I by think episode. The website might have been called Miami Vice Chronicles or something. It was a fantastic site, and I can't thank them enough. And I'm sure they're never going to hear this episode, but they really were thorough. And people who used to work on the show from time to time would comment. And and the funny little aside about the music. Back when the episodes were there on a Friday morning, I remember driving my brother to a store, like a, a convenience store. We'd buy USA Today. In USA Today, they would list the songs that were playing and who the artists were. Wow. So we would know. I know for a fact, as crazy as it sounds, my brother would cut them out. He probably still has them in a little file, in a little folder somewhere in his stash, listing like, okay, tonight was <laughs> Phil Collins, and it was, you know, Depeche Mode, and it was, you know, Tanita Tatkaram or somebody like that. And that's the charm of the show. There were so many little elements. And just like today's shows, you can find so much. But back then, it was completely ridiculous. And that's how ridiculous it was that they were posting. Well, pre-internet. They were posting the songs in an episode in USA Today, where now, you know, oh, yeah. Remember that song? Oh, yeah, they used this song at the end of that episode, or they used this. Now, there's some shows where at the end of the show, they'll play a little commercial of, this is a song from blah, blah, blah. Get it on iTunes. iTunes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... While it might not have been the absolute first that ever used a real song in a TV show, yeah. it was a very important thing. And artists and record companies were trying to yeah. get their music on it. It was an element of the show. And so it became a challenge for me to get all the songs. And a little by little, the Jan Hammer stuff would come out, and he put out bigger collections, yeah. while, but not completely. No, no. And people started posting them on YouTube. There was even a guy from either Germany or Czechoslovakia or someplace. He recreated the sounds and redid the music. And you can find it on his website on YouTube. Jesus. Without any voices or anything. Because the other way, these particular pieces were not available. Just they didn't come out through Jan Hammer and they didn't come out through his site. This guy was doing them. Then there were people with the technology taking the voices out. Now, again, I don't know how they yeah, do it. Yeah, you can strip the voices out of a you DVD. You can strip it out. If you listen very closely on some faint, of them, it changes you can a little. find it. But I don't mind that because it's in my mind. I'm hearing it, and there it is right there. So I'm thinking it as I'm hearing it. But then there's people like who have found they did that a lot with the Tim Truman stuff, and you can find some of his stuff. So I was able to compile a decent amount of Tim Truman music, and everybody, oh, on his personal 
website or I, I don't have Facebook and stuff, but on his personal sites, people are begging him to put it out. And he's like, well, I don't own it. And yeah, it's got to be something that has to sell a certain amount to get Universal to do it. And it's just not, maybe now anniversary time, there'll be some interest. But it's really tough with these old properties. Unless they can guarantee they're going to sell X amount, they're not going to get involved. And even on these niche sites or niche downloading ability things like La La Land and stuff like mm-hmm. that, it's tough to uh, generate that much excitement from something that, you know, that much time has passed. So ultimately, Miami Vice is still out there and it's still a big influence. I just think it's so associated with the 80s in a sometimes pejorative way that too many new people don't take it serious. And I, I feel there's at least. 30 to 40% of the episodes were really, really well done. A handful were just fun. Then there's like some bad ones or some turkeys, like in any series. And as we mentioned with Battlestar Galacta, there's some turkeys. Six Million Dollar Man, you can tell the fatigue setting in. Well, I would say, just like I I mentioned in the beginning of the show, that this is a landmark cop show, just like Hill Street Blues and some of these other ones. I think I could only imagine after this, NYPD Blue was probably the next step in the evolution of cop shows. Yeah, I mean, if you want to say, and and I'd like to talk about NYPD Blue someday, just like I would say, you know, not counting the old 60s, 50s and 60s, Jack Webb, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. but Hill Street Blues made it grittier from past the 70s cop drama. Right. Hill Street Blues got more realistic. Miami Vice got stylized. I think the next one after that was NYPD Blue in the early 90s, which made it almost completely realistic. Yeah. And then you get onto The Shield, which Ooh. is NYPD Blue on, wow. on caffeine. <laughs> and, and and then past that, we could discuss someday. But I think Miami Vice does fit in still in the, you know, in the pantheon of cop shows. I would love to throw Wise Guy somewhere in there. Well, but it's may, maybe it's too much of a uh, of a guilty pleasure to, to that's throw another in there. show. But oh my God, Wise Guy, man, that's great. It's 80s, Stephen Jacob. And Wise Guy does have a feel, a Miami Vice kind of feel, because of the uh, without the, the glitz. O- OCB, right? The undercover with, with, cop without the glitzy stuff. Yeah, it was more gritty, you know, mob related, without the glamour and glitz. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, well, I want to thank James once again for participating in today's show, and I want to thank Carlos for at least letting me do Miami Vice well, anniversary because a lot of people don't even realize it, but it's, it's something I'm a big you know, fan of. It's definitely '80s pop culture. You cannot get away from it. It's there. And the music and, like I said before, the people involved, the style, and the director who went on to do some incredible movies after Miami Vice. So on behalf of everybody here, I'd like to thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you here next time at Geek Fest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Happen to have any uh, ice on this bucket, would you? Yeah. Down below, help yourself. Hey! 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 Oh, it! Hey! Officer Dubs, say hi to Elvis, former mascot of University of Florida football Gators. Currently, he's a watchdog and resident dope sniffer of the St. Vitus Dance. He got benched his senior year for taking a little chomp out of the Georgia Free Safety. 
Hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, call him off, man. I, I don't even like alligator shoe. Hey, 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 don't talk like that, man. You're gonna hurt his feelings. Don't mind him, Elvis. He's from New York. Yeah. He's ticking. Alarm clock. Some frat punks pulled a Captain Hook on him. And he ate a flight back full of LSD on a Key West lab bus last Thursday. Been a little freaked out ever since. But all in all, I feel he's in a much better environment. Takes a licking and keeps on ticking. <laughs> Gotta move. Gotta fail hearing downtown on last night's bust. Leon's long-awaited debut as a lead vocalist. Hey, dream on, Crockett. Leon ain't gonna roll over on Calderon. Wanna bet? Do me a favor, will you? Feed old Elvis his breakfast for me. Going out the deep. Hey! Rocket! Hey! Nice alligator! Rocket! Slappy White, Carrot Top, Babe the Pig, Huggy Bear. Sonny, blah, blah, blah.